0: But, like, the vibe of the restaurant is what keeps me alive. You know what I mean, like, being friendly, being casual. There's always something in the restaurant going on. There's a bird on one side. There's a kid screaming on the other side. There's a a celebrity hiding at the back door over there. There's always something to do in the restaurant, and that's amazing and
1: fascinating. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Learning your craft on the eastern tip of Italy is a world away from a restaurant offering at a casino. So how do you transcend the context and deliver a dining experience that gives diners a real taste of Italy? Martino Pulito is the executive chef of Cucina Porto. Martino, how are you? Good, good. How are you, Anthony? Thanks for having me today. It's great to get you on the show. Uh, you've, um, running, you're at the helm of the um, restaurant Cucina Porto at the Star in Sydney. How are things going? Things going
0: very good. Like We opened the restaurant uh, three years ago. Like, uh, it's been an amazing experience, to be honest, because uh, we've reached the number one casual dining restaurant in uh, New South Wales for the past couple of years. Wow. In uh, in tough times, like during COVID. So, like, it was a massive achievement for, for me and for the whole team here, over there. Uh, we see a little bit challenges. I'm not going to lie, but things are going are still going good.
1: It's through, the last three years has been sort of a real upheaval for most people on the planet. It's What's it been like running a restaurant during that period uh, for you and a new restaurant at that?
0: It was... a. Uh, Challenging from one point of view, because uh, of course you're gonna reimagine the way how you do the dishes, how you do the kitchen, how you do the menu and stuff like that. But at the same times, was a good challenge because uh, it kept my brain moving all the times and try to jump in different product products, uh, jump in on different projects and knowing different people, and this is where I started. For example, as a chef, to using local small suppliers in USA Wales, which uh, I didn't have time before because volume was incredible busy in the, my past places. So like uh, is, I started helping the local growers, which is a great.
1: Oh, well, t- tell us about some of the ones that you got on board and, and how different things are. You know, what have you changed as a result of what's happened? In terms of changing, like, I thought, how
0: can I, my kitchen be a little bit more sustainable? So that was before the storm was coming to the global scale, you know what I mean? And this is why, like, for example, me being Italian and being in the same culture, I always try to be in simple in the by sourcing the best quality that I can find out there. Since... Uh, I think it's one and a half years now. Like I went down for a trip down south with a couple of my teammates and I found a small farm in Colovale down New South Wales. That guy is amazing. Like he's doing everything off the grid. He's producing mushrooms. He's doing uh, chicken honey, he's doing so many beautiful things, which uh, I say, look, I'm the guy that I'm going to give you the voice because I'm in Sydney and uh, I can start bringing you the product over there. And I started this collaboration with this farm. And then, of course, he started talking with other people and the other people. And slowly, slowly, like, I adjust my menu based on this. And now, like, everyone is on the same path, what I can see in Sydney,
1: which is great. Has it changed sort of your approach and what you are cooking? The approach not really it's more the approach when
0: we go and talk to customers yes like the training that i do the training that i do with uh, with the front of house people that's yes 100 percent. because now what we're going to do is we're going to tell a story so i'm not going to reinvent the wheel when it comes to a dish i'm just gonna tell a story tell a story to our customers that this product is locally grown it's a seasonal is. Uh, they probably love it. Uh, that's why they always come back because they they know. Uh, in fact, they for example, if one day one items is eighty six or so we don't have it, it's because it's socially locally, so it's not coming from an, any other part of the world.
1: Tell us a little bit about uh, what you are doing there, what 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 the restaurants like, and what's what sort of food are you doing?
0: So the restaurant in Cucina like Cucina Porto is an Italian restaurant, and yes, it's a casual dining, but I always like to use the premium products, premium ingredients that's out there. It's more like a vibe that we created which uh, it needs to be affordable for everyone and for every needs. So when we open, I had to sit down with my venue manager together to see what's, uh, what's going to happen. And we decided to be very limited in price when it comes to menu offering. That was a uh, key things to go on the market and at the same time, we want a, a place with a, a nice vibe, a nice buzz. So like the people, we also in front of the theater, the Cine Lyric Theater. So we also need to be very fast uh, when it comes to pre-theater show or after show. And this is why like it gave me the idea to try to get all the people Day, so like I don't want to limit a restaurant just for a date or for a birthday. I want everyone to come in my restaurants, and this will put a lot of pressure on myself when I build the menu. And this is why, like, I want a like a a high quality of products, and the key is uh, consistency. And this is why right now I'm doing birthdays, dates, proposal, business meeting, conference a uh, celebrity that comes and want to be private having a bespoken menu. So I literally tried to uh, cover all the people out there.
1: You've uh, worked in all sorts of environments and different restaurants, which we can get into shortly. But how different is is running a restaurant in something like uh, The Star uh, as part of the entire sort of restaurant offering?
0: It's got like its own challenges because uh, Star is a big uh, Group is a big corporation with uh, solid policies. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I, it's, it's tough at times, yes. But I can say that all of the experience that I had before in different restaurants give me the possibility to open my, my head when it comes to corporates, uh, which uh, that's what keeps me going all the times. But like at the same time, it's also rewarding because uh, it's got like a big visibility out there. And there's something that, for example, like small other restaurants, they can't really afford to do it. So like it's a win-win from one point to the other.
1: Well, I want to explore what you are doing there in a little bit, but take us back to when you were young. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play? so like uh, I'm from Italy so I born
0: in, and raised in Martina Franca which is a small city in uh, Puglia like TripAdvisor number one destination right now in the world the place was uh, like, like I started being chef when I was 10 like very early stages because I always loved the food like food is in Italian culture is the way how we I don't know we give a uh, love to friends always shared things with other people is the way how my mom and my grandma and all the people transmit by generations so like it's in our blood so like i remember when i was 10 my father is an addresser. he told me to stay with him in the shop but after a few minutes i got bored So I asked him, can I go and work? Can I go and work somewhere else? You know what I mean? Like just spending time because my father didn't want me to sit on the street and play soccer, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And they found a bakery for me, like a bakery where uh, I was working uh, from 10, years 10 to probably 12, 13. So like very young age. But literally like at that age, you It's just a game. Like, I remember it was just to play with the dough, to try to catch every tomato we put on top, like having fun and spend a couple of hours. Like, that was a different thing. It started get serious when I go 13, I believe, because I started to be more ambitious when I was 13. And that's when I, I started moving in a different restaurant locally, like uh, in the same town, starting learning how to cook a pasta or how to make a pasta from scratch or, I don't know, how to bake a fish. Like all these little pieces. And this is what's before I actually went to culinary school.
1: Mm. Tell us about sort of growing up with the family. Is there any sort of dishes or feasts that you recall um, that you can share with us, with with your nonna and mother? So many, like I'm so So many. So like I,
0: like being Italian means you are surrounded by food all the time. Like, like even your cardboard in the box, whatever, you could try to open the shoes, there's always food there. (laughs) When I was a kid, I remember like just the smell every morning when I was waking up, when I was like five or six, I still remember that now, right now, the smell of uh, the onion that was frying in the oil for my mom to make meatballs or stuff like that. And I probably I think that's why I get into food on the first time. But one of the dishes probably is mine on uh, my grandma meatballs, which uh, even now, growing up, man, I'm still overseas. Every time I go back, she always have a portion for me, ready to go in the freezer, which is a, a simple, basic meatball. I call it a meatball, but it doesn't contain meat because my family wasn't that rich back then. <laughs> So like uh, the ingredients were just bread, wild wine, olive oil and a couple of eggs, what the land can give. And this is why my grandma used to make all this every single day. And uh, it was given us when we were finished school. So like sometimes they used to give us the little box to take it to take school. So like instead of in Australia, kids got a little sandwich. I used to bring a pasta with meatballs to school. <laughs> Different, Different childhood. Yeah and then also like i remember one of the dish which is a orecchiette i don't know if you heard, like the ear shape kind of pasta which my grandma was always making it and she believes that if she will put the pasta on the bed the pasta will taste better and this is why when she actually was making the pasta in the kitchen then she was resting the pasta layer on the bed <laughs> And my grandpa was so upset because he wanted to do a nap. Like, nap is essential in Italy. They could not do it because they actually was, uh, they was passed on the bed. <laughs> uh,
1: that's amazing. Tell, tell us a little bit about the food of the region that you grew up in. Is there sort of ingredients and dishes that sort of e- exemplify that region that you can share?
0: The region is, uh, is uh, like Martina is a, is a city which is in the middle of Topuglia. So, like, uh, it's in the land, but at the same time, so you got a lot of seafood culture there. So, like, uh, being in the Mediterranean, being in Italy, we got access to, I will say, probably the best produce out there. Like, uh, when it comes to tomato, almonds, olives, especially olives with olive oil. Like, uh, my family own a farm of more than 300 olives farm, olive tree, sorry. That is something that it stays in every single dish uh grapes for example so like the grapes goes into desserts and they start making wines there's so many but also being very close to the my, like my city is very close to the ionic sea and to the adriatic sea on the other side it gives us uh two different kind of seafood like we go like the warmer water on one side a little bit more cooler water on the other one which uh for example, when I was a kid, I remember like to go on one side if there was wind. So like uh, the water was a little bit flat. So my family easy can catch some octopus on the rocks or opposite. Like if uh, the wind was blowing from the other side, we're just going to the Sea, to, to the other side, where it's placed more for prawns and muscles and stuff like that. So I had a different childhood. So, like immersive in the in the food.
1: Yeah, um, tell us about the first couple of years working in the industry. Where were the sort of really important venues and and people that you worked with?
0: So, like when I when I was down in Puglia, I worked in a lot of places. Like I was jumping every three months if I if I have to be honest, because I was very angry about a uh, passionate about the food. So, like as soon as I was a little bit comfortable with the place that was time for me to move on. Uh, This is what I changed almost every single restaurant in my own town. That was during my uh, culinary school. So when I was 14, 15. And I also see that when I was going to school, the culinary school, me and a couple of my friends, we were already more advanced in terms of skills compared to the other students. And we ask uh, the teachers actually to, if we can buy ourselves some product and experiment in something different at school, like uh, using our own money, because schools go limited budget and stuff like that. And the teacher agreed even more. And he opened us the door to other restaurants in different cities. My school was also 45 kilometers away from home. So, like when I was 14, I was catching the trains and going back and forth i mean just to get this passion going you know what I mean? but this opened me opened me and a couple of other my friends the door to work in different restaurants which uh, lead me to milan where uh, that is probably my most memorable stories of my culinary journey because milan was very hard and tough for me
1: well, t- take us to Milan. There's been some amazing restaurants of influence from there and it's a destination for many people around the world. Um, take us into the kitchens there. What did you learn and what was it like?
0: Yeah, so when I went to Milan, first of all, I worked in a small restaurant in Brianza, it's called. So, like, it's a rich region on top of Milan. So, like, it's more like a countryside. This place was uh, a Sioux Mission Star and was only for we were only four five chefs inside so like it's not like the Michelin star that you see now with 20-25 chefs we were only three or four and i remember i used to work endless hours like from eight in the morning to probably like midnight or one o'clock in the morning that place was uh, good because i learned few like how to be in a different kitchen like the discipline and the formations, the respect with other people, because this is what I didn't experience when I was back in the south of Italy. And that led me to move to actual Milan, where I found uh, what it was at the time, the a catering with uh, the most valuable customers, probably worldwide. So it was one of the best catering in Europe at the time. Because uh, just to name a few customers, we had... Uh, Gucci, Prada, we had Versace, we had uh, prime ministers. We used to serve the G8, the convention, the secret conventions. They all the politicians used to do. We used to have a uh, Monza, like the Grand Prix, the Formula One. So like we, we, and we used to follow these people around, like uh, Italy, Spain, and also France sometimes. So that time was very different for me, but I enjoy. Every single minute of Milan. What lured you to Australia? Escape from Milan. (laughs) (laughs) Escape from Milan. Because uh, working for, like, uh, I work, uh, like the guy that was uh, my executive chef back in Milan, because I worked there for like six, seven years, I believe. He used to be like a three-mission star. He's a a chef that is my mentor, which uh, still now I don't... uh, remember having social media i don't remember having a facebook or anything so like he's still right now like off the grid but back in italy everyone knows him because he creates the most michelin star chef right now on the market in italy and uh, i work alongside for him for seven years and uh, he was brutal with me i'm not gonna lie it was brutal because he actually saw in me like someone with potential as someone that really wanted to do the job. And what he did is, um, I don't know, I remember I was scared about lobsters. So he tied me up and uh, he put a lobster on my face and uh, I fainted, for example, just to uh, like, don't be scared anymore. Or I remember one time I want to touch the salmon because it was slimy and stuff like that. And he uh, took uh, the, that was old days. So now you can't do these things now anymore. But like he took the skin of the salmon and he wrap all around my face. <laughs> oh, but that was part of uh, the, my drawing, my learning, uh, which was great. Uh, he also introduced me to a different food variety, which I wasn't aware of. Like, uh, especially like foie gras, caviar. Uh, one day I remember the Putin was in in town and uh, like Putin, the prime minister. And we had to do like a, a an event for him. And uh, he wanted to get fresh caviar, but fresh caviar doesn't mean the things. He wants us to order the fish delivered in, in Italy and milk it straight in front of the people. Something crazy. So that are little things is what I experienced back, uh, back over there.
1: What was it like when you landed in Australia? Were you surprised by it?
0: Like if, when I landed over here, I came to escape, first of all, like the long hours because I was working 20 hours a day. And at the same time, it's not really being recognized. So when I land over here, I saw a lot of different places I didn't recognize uh, as restaurants. If I have to be honest, because I saw them, I saw them like a, with a different layout. Like I saw the ear; no one used to have a tablecloth, like around, for example, or like towels. Or uh, there was no very much music uh, on the outside, or like the people waiting at the door I'm talking about like 12-13 years ago when I when I arrived so it was very hard for me to actually understand what was a cafe or was a restaurant that was back then then I, when I started working inside I saw there was a, a very mixture of cuisine incorporated in one so even if they say okay he's Italian or he's Asian or so he's um, Mediterranean there's still a little bit of product use from uh, other countries. So it's not like 100% authentic, which uh, it gives me more approach to different ingredients, which I actually never been across when I was in Europe. Or like try to use, for example, yuzu instead of the lemon to use some different dishes. That was an example. And that creates uh, like a a little bit more interest for me. The hours here were the value of chefs in, uh, in Australia was more rewarding and people recognized the job uh, more when I came. But at the same time, I came before the European storm. So like uh, I was one of the flagship probably of the Italians back in uh, 2012. And uh, it was a challenge back then to get the visa to stay and all the sponsorship and uh, stuff like that, And this is why I chose to be uh, to work for Jamie Oliver with were uh, under a lot of pressure from an international brand, an international chef uh, with a lot of face out there. But that was the key that I believe to stay in this country because I really love this country.
1: Mm. How different was Jamie's Italian compared to what you knew of Italian?
0: Look, the, honestly, was uh, 60%, 70% different. But, like, uh, I wasn't the Italian, they always say, oh, this is not authentic, I'm not going to eat it, you know what I mean? Uh, This is not done, like, properly, I'm not going to eat it. I tried to go deep and understand why Jamie's Italian was doing this kind of dishes, and I understand the response of the customers, uh, which we had a crowd of, like, a thousand people a day. And that made me realize that at the end of the story, if the chef is good, but you got no customers coming inside the restaurant, you're no one. Like, and that make me understand that the real important people are the customers, first of all. So they are the people they come into the restaurants, so they're going to eat, buy your food, pay the bills at the end of the story. And at the same time, motivate the team creating something different. And Jamie's Italian was a very good platform for me to understand
1: this. Mm. That's amazing. Uh, You've been head chef of many venues in Sydney. Tell us about some of the venues and the more important sort of steps that you've taken since you've been in Australia.
0: So, like, Jamie Oliver was one of the venues where I wasn't head chef, but I believe I was working as a head chef because we we were jumping head chef every couple of months because it was a tough restaurant. So, like, uh, I was a sous chef over there with uh, another one. And uh, with not having like a, a leader presence all the time, we had to do we had to learn management the way how the restaurant was working ourselves. So that was one of the first challenge. At the same time, it gave me the ability to know a lot of suppliers. Yeah, I start creating a lot of relationship with the fish guy, with the meat guy, or with the vegetable people. Like the key important people for my job. And then when I left Jamie Oliver, I, I want to experience a different kind of restaurant, which was an organic restaurant. It was a, it's called Pasta Miglia, a small Italian restaurant in Sarriels, which was everything organic. So like for me, it was a challenge not to learn the skills or to learn the cook, how to cook it, but more the way how they were sourcing the product. Because uh, for that restaurant, it's very important to source organically certified and biodynamic product. To have the logo on the door, so for me it was a challenge because I had to know, I, I had to restart all over again, starting where he used to buy the uh, used to buy the meat or where he used to buy the the cheese or all this kind of stuff. So it was a challenge for me. And then when uh, everything settled again, like me, I'm an ambition person. I decided to join uh, Sean Connolly, like everyone knows Sean Connolly in Sydney. And, and, that, and that was tough because uh, for the first six months, I remember he, he didn't even talk to me. Like he was, uh, I think I had a guru relationship with Sean because uh, he treated me same way how my chef in Italy treated me in the past. So Like a very old school chef, uh, down to earth, down to ground, where uh, he doesn't have to muck around like the things are done like his way and that's it. And uh, for the first six months, Sean never said my name. he never never called me. Then, when he saw that I believed in him and in, in his brand and what he was doing, then he changed. He opened all his door. it was
1: I was loyal to him the Morrison's a huge venue. Do you have any stories of what that was like and what you were doing there
0: well so when I was at the Morrison, a lot of people thought it was a pub, but it wasn't real it wasn't real a pub it wasn't a, a historic place. Uh, building, I don't know, like in the eight, uh, end of, nine, uh, I don't know when it was built, but like it was uh, like an institution back in, uh, like it's still an institution right now. So, like uh, being the head chef a leader and uh, representing Sean was a big responsibility for me. So, like, I had to work a lot uh, with what Sean wants in terms of like his vision. At the same time, being in the financial business, which is a different story. So, like, I had to really work on how to make Sean's dishes a reality back to the market. And we worked together to create dishes and to do a create creating different promotions and be always, always on point. And I remember the most successful things that we I did at the Morrison with Sean was the oyster oyster oil, which the Morrison is famous for. We were selling like, I don't know if I can't remember now, but it was crazy numbers, like 400, 500 dozen oysters in an hour. That was crazy. And then uh, we used to do the crab festival, which was uh, something that Sean was very proud of. We used to do a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? But like at the same time over there, we were trying to capturing people that just want to go at the pub for a beer. I just have a beer and a, and a burger or at the same time having a nice lunch or dinner with some premium food. So that was the old place of the Morrison. So it was very challenging with a kitchen very, very tiny.
1: You, you grew up with a, an incredible array of seafood, but the Australian seafood is a little bit different. How different has that been, that journey into the seafood in Australia compared to what you grew up with? See if I, I will say the seafood in Australia is not bad. Like it's very, it's very good
0: is uh, there's some fish that is probably like the knowledge of the fish that's missing over here compared to Europe. Because uh, anyway, Australia is a very young country. And the thing is, it's also populated by people coming from different parts of the world. So like, for example, like if I'm Italian, I like myself, I'm always going to eat muscles. I'm not going to try a ballone because it's not in my culture. So like my job as a chef is try to mix all this food at put in my menus so that people can actually try it from different cultures but the food itself, like the seafood is very nice uh, the skills uh, the technique the the farmers the fishmen's, uh, the way how they grow things is uh, is very re- remarkable I mean uh, when people start knowing the story for example like I, I can say that the oysters here in uh, in Australia they're way more better uh from my point of view from the one that you can find in France like the taste is completely better. The size and everything. But also like the fish itself, like in Europe, we go a smaller fish because the sea doesn't give the opportunity for the fish to grow. Like the fish that you find here in the oceans. But like stuff like kingfish or prawns or lobster, they're definitely like top, top notch on the world, 100%.
1: How did the opportunity at Cucina Porto come about? That was uh, when uh, I, I
0: always worked for celebrities in the past. I've always been the man behind, behind uh, I don't know, like the spotlights. Uh, and I liked it for a while. Like, uh, for example, even with Sean, uh, Sean was doing a lot of, uh, a lot of things for himself, And uh, I was always back there working 20 hours a day to make sure his dream was going alive. Until I reach a point, like, I think I reach a maturity for myself. Where I speak with Sean, I say, chef, uh, I love you. I love the place. I love everything. Like, it's not like I just want to start building the name for myself. Like, I don't want to be known like the person that's always behind someone. And this is when uh, I approach the star. Uh, Sydney and uh Cusina Porto, bones literally.
1: Tell us a little bit about your food. Uh, is is there a dish or two you can take us through that kind of exemplifies your cooking? Yeah, so like a couple of dishes.
0: So like every time I do a menu, I always go deep in a story. What I want to give a message to our customers, which it comes from my childhood or for my trips. One of the dish, for example, the right now is very very famous in uh, my restaurant is the prawns with uh, an apple spritz barra uh, because uh, at the end what i want to give to my customers is the best prawns which i love and apple spritz which is uh, my favorite cocktail like aperitif so I say, oh, can I combine these two together? You know what I mean? I try, let try the people, and that's why I create this dish. And uh, when I start to tell, telling the story to the customers, everyone loved the story, and then they try the dish. And the dish actually is amazing. These are perfect combinations. and That's a win-win. And everything that I do is always, always that one. It's always got a, a little story behind. Even if I do like a little, I don't know gnocchi with. I don't know, like so-so, anything. Like he's always got like a little background there, which uh, he needs to create a story. Now I'm trying also to motivate my team uh, to, because I want to inspire them to get themselves in the dish. Because as I say, like uh, I'm, uh, when I do Italian cooking, I don't really create crazy things because I, what I found out, that a lot of people get scared of the unknown. Instead, I try to tell my staff to put their own life in the dish. So put their own childhood, put their own uh, experience in the dish that they're going to make it. So like uh, at the end of the story, is, uh, is also them. So it gives them a little bit of reward. And this is when they start creating a little bit of specials. For example, for the restaurants, which uh, is always great because at the end, we always
1: buy a good food, but like,
0: if there's a story behind, there's an
1: old experience there. Are there any dishes um, that are inspired or a replication of the food from your family or childhood memories? Uh, I will say maybe 50% of the menu, <laughs> yes.
0: 50%? Because at the, end, at the end of the story, like even every single pasta, like if I put the linguine, for example, with the seafood, that's a dish that, for example, I was having every Sunday. Or oh, in the past, uh, like in the previous menu, I used to have a orecchiette with a cime di rapa, which is uh, like the top of the broccolini. But that dish is a very classic dish. Uh, so I took that dish and uh, I want to make more interesting because at the end it's just a pasta with broccolini. So like I start experimenting using uh, different alcohol inside content, like a uh, aperitif, stuff like that, or then modify a little bit of sauce to recreate the same flavor profile, maintaining, like, the authenticity of the food itself. And at the same time, being, like, a, how can I say it, like, vegetarian, vegan, uh, with the uh, possibility to not having nuts. So like a dish that can be suitable for everyone, literally. Because what I found in Sina is also like a lot of restaurants do the dish and they can be modified because they're made in pre-batches. Where, uh, for example, my is cooking everything fresh to order. So like if a person go, I don't know, like a chili allergy or a garlic allergy or a stuff like that, but I really want that dish. I will be able to make it because everything is made fresh on the spot. And that's one of the key when I build a menu. So as I said, linguini is probably like one of my favorites. Then I got the ragu on the on the menu, which uh, if I try to take it off the menu, people will follow me around Sydney just to put it back because everyone loves it. Uh, uh Of course, I got the veal, the crumb veal on the menu, which is uh, what the people call schnitzel, but like it's done in the proper way, nice in the pan with a clarified butter, and stuff like There's so many, so many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've built an amazing uh, restaurant there at Cucina Porto. What what do you love about what you do?
0: I love uh, the energy. I love the challenge. That every day is going to be a new day. Uh, I love. Uh, seeing customers, the same customers coming through the door every day, every couple of days. And that's uh, probably the most rewarding things. I saw people recognizing the job as a team, not as individual. And uh, I see the challenge because at the end working, we, we still do two, 300 people in an hour. So it's still a challenge nowadays. I also like, a, I'm proud that I build a team very young, because I'm always supporter of the young generations. Where uh, less, I will say that like 75-80% of my kitchen team is female also. Which is uh, is a great achievement for me. Yeah. It is hard sometimes because putting all female at the same time, sometimes it can be very hard. <laughs> but they go something else. Like my I'm very proud of what the team is doing. And this is why like the Cucina Porto in terms of restaurant is always up there but like the vibe of the restaurant is what keeps me alive you know what i mean like being friendly being casual there's always something in the restaurant going on there's a burden there on one side there's a kids screaming on the other side there's a a celebrity hiding at the back door over there or there's a, a ceo coming from uh, i don't know any part of the world they, he doesn't want to be seen there's always something to do in the restaurant and that's amazing and fascinating
1: Well, um, it sounds amazing and fascinating just hearing about it. Um, It's been an honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today, Martino, to hear just a part of your story. Um, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Anthony. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.